Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. This will certainly have an adult theme and might well contain strong scenes of sex or violence, which could be quite graphic. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. What do you not listen to? Um, <laughs> chart music. <laughs> chart music. Pop craze youngsters, and welcome to the latest episode of Chart Music, the podcast that gets its hands right down the back of the settee on a random episode of Top of the Pops. I'm your host, Al Needham, and by my side today are Simon Price. Two metres away, hello. Yeah, at least. <laughs> and Neil Kulkarne. Hello, all. Boys, the pop things... The interesting things. What of them, say I? <laughs> Come on now. Has this question ever been more redundant? Um, I know. I know. I mean, it's genuinely not a lot, apart from being pleased about learning the chords to, on the inside, the theme tune to Prisoner South And that's genuinely it. I might knock out an acoustic cover. Do. I'll sing over it, Neil. <laughs> I'm sure that can be sorted. Yeah, if the lunacy starts biting hard in a couple of weeks. Other than that, not a lot to report, to be honest with you. No. I'm actually, and I think this is a common experience for a lot of people, I feel a bit kind of shamed and uh, and judged almost by how active and creative everyone else is being, including Neil learning the fucking chords to an old TV show. Because it just seems yeah. that, like, if, if you just go by social media, um, everybody is using this time to do loads of amazing things. Like, yeah. in a pig's arse all that yeah they'll be going like oh yeah um i got up in the morning i did the joe wicks pe lesson and then like you know i fed my kids and i taught i homeschooled them for half the day and then like you know i i i, I wrote a new song and i'm recording it and i'm sticking it out on fucking soundcloud <laughs> later on and you know and, and and tonight i'm having a fucking zoom chat with my relatives in america and then we're gonna do a podcast like yeah here we are doing a fucking podcast yeah. you know what i mean but like it, it seems like everybody's doing loads of stuff and I just think, how the fuck are you even doing this? I'm just sort of catatonic with kind of tiredness and just, mm, you know. Yeah. I, it, it, yeah, and, and I, I think there's something very performative about how everything's been very, very productive during lockdown. And fair enough, you know, whatever gets you through the night or the day. But, yeah, I, I think some people are over-egging it, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, those are the people who genuinely aren't coping with this yes. um, at all, and they're having to compensate with all this activity. And, and with regards to homeschooling, by the way, my daughter's not done a fucking lick of homework. She's not done a single bit. Yes, Neil, you're the perfect parent. <laughs> and to be honest with you, her response when I try and get her to do any of it, which is, I don't care about homework, is pretty much irrefutable. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, if your kids are doing no fuck all. from that, is there? No, there isn't. I mean, I can't make her care about it or even give reasons as to why she should care about it because who the fuck knows what she's going back to. So, mm. yeah, if you're spending lockdown doing absolutely fuck all by drinking, getting wasted and occasionally feeling knackered, I think you're doing it right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have been shit-faced like most evenings because we just sort of get together with our <laughs> friends and do a quiz, including Here yes. Comes Quizum. Indeed, yes. <laughs> bit yes, of product placement very, there. Very busy. You have, doing, yeah. Uh, doing the chart music pub quiz, which I'm uh, enjoying doing. Hour long pub quiz every Friday night for the pop craze patrons because they always get it first. I fuck everyone else, but I make love to them. You're a key worker, mate. And um, I put it out as a repeat to the general population on uh, usually on Monday nights. So, yeah, 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 being very busy with that, you know, because I, I, I do pub quizzes normally, you know, back, back in, the, in the old times. <laughs> But uh, I haven't bothered doing a pub quiz for, for my usual pubs. It's like, no, nah, there's loads of amateurs having a go. Let them. Yeah, yeah. I'll just focus on the pub craze youngsters. So, yeah, bit of bonus content for everyone. And, uh, yeah, going quite nicely, getting, a, getting a, a, a nice bit of comeback from the pub craze youngsters. So, thank you very much. I would say Here Comes Quizum is gratifyingly mm. semi-hard. <laughs> and that's probably praise you haven't had since you were a male stripper. Yeah, when you're our age... <laughs> gratifying enough isn't it yeah since your full monty days no one has said that to you yeah Uh, (laughs) uh, i got i think 28 the first time and maybe 32 uh, the second time and obviously just because i'm a chart music regular doesn't mean i get given the answers (laughs) so yeah i I found it was just pitched it was tough enough but it gave people a chance i thought i think you're right though al in the loads of amateurs coming out the woodwork all the characters are coming out the woodwork as well yes you know the fucking yeah. buskers and uh, the eight o'clock clap on a oh, Thursday. Oh, yeah. People. So, yeah, worrying times. Well, it's just people that you just, you know, you change pubs <laughs> to, not <laughs> to listen to them. And, and now they, they're trying to ram it down your computer. And it's just like, look, fuck off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, personally, right, I don't want to brag about this. And, I, I, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to touch loads of wood now. To, you know, just in case I do go mental next week and run down the street naked, eating my own shit out of an ice cream tub. But uh, I'm, I'm pissing this lockdown out of my arse. Yeah. I really am, right? Yeah. I've got two bottles of whiskey. I've got three multi-packs of little cheese and onion crisps. And I've got every single episode of Prisoner Cell Block H. What else is there? Yeah. A month ago, that would have sounded like a cry for help. <laughs> but today, today is the try triumphant roar of a man who prepared and prepared well (laughs) so yeah i mean i mean the really frightening thing for me is is how little i'm actually missing due to not going out yeah i'm missing going out into pubs because that's you know my my place of work i'm not missing socializing at all fuck that That's a bit terrifying. You're talking to freelance music journalists here. Yeah. So, like, for a start, being locked away um, at home for days on end is just normality. Yeah. And and secondly, going out at night is actually your job. It's work. So it's a fucking blessed relief Into- to not have to do that. Um, yeah. But, you know, go, going back to what we're saying, and we I know we're adding to the mountain with this very podcast um, we're yeah. better than the rest, but we are adding to it. But there's just too much content out there. Too yeah, much, yeah. right? Um, when when lockdown started, um, I actually felt quite warm-hearted towards everyone who's like, just putting a few things out there to entertain people. I thought, good on you, you know? Yeah, yeah we all need mm. something to keep us sane. And there was, like, for example, um, the Backstreet Boys, right? 
They, I don't yeah. know if you saw it. They did a sort of combined video where all is there five of them were singing from their homes. I want it that way, and it was all edited together, and it was really sweet. And I thought, ah, oh, you know what? I never like your shitty music, but there's something quite heart <laughs> heartwarming about that that video. And now it's got to the point where um, the other night there was that fucking eight hour long live aid esque marathon of every cunt doing it now, mm, yeah. and it's just too much, too much fucking content to keep on top of and to have an opinion on. Yeah. Or having said that. Right, there's this one bit, this one clip I've seen, which if you only see one bit of it, um, I just I've been wetting myself laughing ever since. It's the Elton John bit. Have you seen? Do you know what I'm oh, talking about? I've not King seen Hell, it, but yes. I've heard things. Fuck me. Right, what it is? Jesus Christ, Elton! Because you you have to see it with the intro, because the intro is from Posh and Becks. Right, yes. <laughs> Posh and Bex, and uh, I, I always used to bridle against it when people made fun of David Beckham for being thick. I thought, oh, you know, just because he's got a Cockney accent and he's got a bit of a high-pitched voice and sounds a bit silly, and just because his, his missus is a pop star doesn't mean they're thick necessarily. But fucking hell, you listen to them talk, <laughs> they, they, they're reading English as if they're like four-year-olds who've never sort of read out loud before. They go, and we would like to introduce our very, very good friend... <laughs> Elton John and fucking hell and then right he's he's there in his basketball court um, with his fucking grand piano and do you remember why has Elton John got a basketball court well he's he's got kids hasn't he he's got kids it probably keeps them occupied oh that's Um, alright yeah he's got he's got a snooker table which is the thing I just can't imagine him throwing down the fucking hoop true enough but Fucking snooker table is what you want to read about. Read about the snoo- snooker in his house um, in uh, Alexis Petridis's book. That is a real fucking eye opener. Yes. Um, yeah. 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 Don't get jizz on the bays. I think was the phrase. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, right. Um, you remember Vic Reeves? Vic Reeves used to have that pub singer yes. character, right? And mm. um, fuck me. I mean, Elton John's always had a bit of that to him. But what it reminded me of, right? Um, when I was growing up in Barry, there was a guy who used to sell the South Wales Echo. He'd stand outside the supermarket or sometimes outside the train station or whatever. And um, he'd been saying the same words um, over and over for decades and decades that he was no longer saying the words. He was meant to be saying Echo, but instead he was going, Get! Yeah. Get! Like that, yeah. right? That's what Elton John singing his yes. own songs has become. So he sat there. And with his left hand, he's doing the, the bass line of I'm still standing. Ding, 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 ding. And then it's like, then it is the Vic Reeves. It's like, fucking hell. It's extraordinary. It's just, it just keeps on giving. Yeah. It's, I, I it's mean, comedy that, gold. Alexis Petridis book, and you, you are right, Simon, it is, a, it is an outstanding read. I think my favourite part of that, of that book is when he was actually filming the video for I'm Still Standing with all the uh, French sorts, mm. with the curly perm. Yeah, and he got really hammered and d- decided to reshoot the video again with him rolling around bollock naked. <laughs> <laughs> if he'd have shown that instead, it wouldn't have been as embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, fair play to him, right? Because, like, if I, I suppose if the end result is that like people give money to the NHS or whatever it was for, then that is actually a work of genius. So I've got to hand it to Elton for yeah. providing me with the biggest laugh of lockdown. Yeah, I've just been <laughs> fucking rolling about. Laughing at that. Even eclipse Paul McCartney's massacre of Lady Madonna. You, funny you mentioned McCartney. I think like Elton singing "I'm Still Standing" is the new. You can do it right yes. now, please. <laughs> <laughs> it really, is. It really Fuck is. me. So yeah, yeah, we're, we're all coping. Um, you know, everyone else in chart music lands all, uh, all right. The two things I want to get out there is 
Number one, stop going on about fucking Tiger King. Yeah, fuck those cunts. Yeah, and number mm. two, stop moaning about how you can't get your fucking hair cut, you hair-having bastards. Cut your own hair. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck's sake. Because I, 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 in a break with tradition, I've decided to grow my hair for the first time in about 20 God knows how long years. Started mm. shaving yeah. my head when I was, what, 27? Yeah. So we're talking about 24 years Bombs. And you weren't shaving it because you had to originally. Yeah, it, it just looked shit. Right. And yes. um, and and it was the late nineties, and it, finally you could you could do it, and it wasn't a weird thing anymore. It wasn't and I was right. in London at the time, yeah. and no one gave a fuck. Yeah. So, and you know, thank you very much, Grant Mitchell. You know, you'll <laughs> always be cherished. And I thought, you know what? If I'm going to be stuck in the house for God knows how long, because I've always worried. You know, I've been lying in bed at night, going, you know what? I've been shaving my head. For years and years and years. What if I actually didn't have to? What mm. if I actually did have hair and I, I just didn't know? Yeah. So I thought, fuck it, I'm going to grow it to see what happens. And I, and I can report now that it looks fucking awful, man. <laughs> I'm halfway between um, Yuri Andropov and uh, Keith out of Nuts in May. It is going to go <laughs> full Keith. I'm not growing yeah, but- a beard because even now, in parlous times like this, I'm not going out like a tramp. You've got some self-recocking spec. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. If you don't fucking scoop your hair up on both sides into horns like me, just oh, for yeah, a photo, yeah. just for a photo, you know, and put it out on chart music, you know, on it's the It's got on the to blog. be done, yeah. yeah, yeah. Shaking price. Yes! <laughs> Get in. But, but you're saying that uh, on the top, the, it was stony ground, the follicles were few and far between, is it? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. one of them. Well, it's class- yeah. classic male pattern boldness. Yeah, preach, yeah. brother, preach. Yeah, yeah. fucking hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the horseshoe of shame. <laughs> the goal is now. I, I'm I'm too far gone to turn back now. I'm going for a I'm going for a comb over. First time I go out, man, I'm gonna have the proper Bobby yeah, Charlton yeah. circa 1974 look going on, and all the the sex I'll get. Brilliant when that happens. Ralph Coates. Ralph Coates and um, who's that? Um, there's a Southampton player called Armstrong who was like proper old school bald. They used to do it, you know. They, just, you know, because yeah, like you say, if you shaved it in those days, people thought you were basically National Front. Yes. Mm. So yeah, yeah. So all this, all this haircutting thing that all these fucking um, freedom of movement freaks are coming out with in America. Oh. A friend of mine was saying, let's talk about this on, on Zoom last night. Like they're the same people who consider themselves these kind of survivalist preppers yeah. for the apocalypse. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. they're they're locked down in their fucking wooden shacks um, out out in the forest, and, and you know they they reckon they can survive anything, and they can take on the federal government, and they've got everything they need to. You know, they mm. they can hunt raccoons and just live off that. And then <laughs> fucking they're locked away for three weeks. It's like. I want to go to the barbers. Yeah. For fuck's sake. Someone should tell them you could get a really good haircut with guns. <laughs> Just ah. shoot the hair off. Well, it's one of these victimless crimes thing. It's like today. Uh, this this will this will have dated by the time the episode comes out. But uh, listeners, cast your mind back to that day yeah. when Donald Trump had told America that it would be a good idea to inject yourselves with disinfectant. Yeah. <laughs> right? And it's one of these things that you, you sort of think... Well, hang on a minute, right? If if everyone who listens to Donald Trump does that, is the world a worse place? <laughs> no, no, massive improvement. I mean, yeah, it's one of those moments where it's kind of it's probably not helpful to think how did we get here? Um, <laughs> we are just here. 
um, yeah, put yeah. up with it. And, and We've got also, to get on with it, haven't we? Uh, well, I just think those guys, they're kind of, if they feel a bit of hair on the back of their neck, they just see it as incipient communism or something. So, yeah. gainers. <laughs> of course, you know, let, let, we've got to wish uh, a, a, a merry Ramadan to uh, to the pop crazed Muslims amongst us. And yeah, right. It reminded me that about a year ago when I was really bored, mm. I just sat down and thought, you know what, we, we always bang on about the Christmas number one. Oh, what's going to be the Christmas number one? It's just an important thing. Mm. And it's the only part of the charts that still matters nowadays. And I thought, well, you know, that's a bit, that's a bit wrong. What about other faiths? Yeah. So I actually sat down and worked out <laughs> the Ramadan number one. All right. From 1970. Oh, my God. To, to 1991. Yes. Do you want to hear it? I think I think yeah, it'll explain yeah. a lot, actually. So, bit of music. Yeah. 1970, Woodstock, Matthew Southern Comfort. Mm-hmm. 1971, Maggie May, Rod Stewart. Oh, mm, strong, yeah. 1972. Mouldy old dough, Lieutenant. Yes! Fucking, I bloody love that record. Makes perfect sense now, doesn't it? <laughs> Cobb's finest. <laughs> 1973, Eye Level by the Simon Park Orchestra. Yeah. yeah. 1974, Kung Fu Fighting by Carl. Yes! Yes! <laughs> These are so much better than the Christmas number one. Yes! 1975, Sailing, Rod Stewart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Rod Stewart's pretty big during Ramadan, isn't he? <laughs> He's the Cliff Richard of the Ramadan number one. Yes. <laughs> 1976, Don't Go Breaking My Heart, Elton John and Kiki D. Mm. 1977, Angelo, Brotherhood of Man. Right. Yeah. 1978, You're the One That I Want, John Travolta and Olivia yeah. John. Fucking strong. Yeah. Hmm. No, that, I think that was for every fucking religious holiday, that. Yeah. I think that's for Hanukkah <laughs> as well. 1979, I Don't Like Mondays, the Boomtown Rats. Right, eh? mm. 1980, Xanadu, Olivia Newton-John and ELO. Olivia Newton-John again, you see? Mm. Yeah, 1981, brilliant. One Day in Your Life, Michael Jackson. Yeah. 1982, I've Never Been to Me by Charlene. Brilliant. See, that came, yeah. that went to number one from nowhere. Yeah. Now yeah. we've worked out. It's Ramadan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard, I'm sorry to pause the countdown. I was in a Chinese restaurant in Brighton just before lockdown, and they played a Chinese version of I've Never Been to Me by no. Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And oh, wow. It's quite something to hear. And I would love to know if it's a direct translation or, you know, what the sort of Chinese equivalent would be of I've been undressed by kings and, you know, yeah. uh, and the preacher man and all that sort of stuff. If, if they sort of transliterated it culturally as well as just, you know, the meaning. Maybe they tied it in with Monka. You know, I've been yeah. to Goldora, <laughs> but I've never been to me. Fucking it's hell. a very Buddhist kind of song, isn't it? it well, is, yeah. It, yeah, indeed. God, yeah. yeah. Sorry, 1983, but... Every Breath You Take by the Police. Yeah. Fuck right. off. 1984, Two tribes, Frankie goes to Hollywood. Yes, get it. Sonny and Shiite, there we go. <laughs> 1985, 19, Paul Hardcastle. Oh, yes. 1986, The Chicken Song by Spitzin' Image. Oh, there's always got to be a novelty one, hasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Halal Chicken, obviously. <laughs> 1988, Heart by the Pet Shop Boys. Brilliant. 1989, Like a Prayer, Madonna. Yeah. 1990, The Power by Snap, and mm. 1991, The Stonk 
by Hale and Pace. Ladies oh, and gentlemen, <laughs> the Ramadan number ones. Jesus. <laughs> of course, I see what you did there. This is a very clever bit of foreshadowing you've done there, Al, by mentioning pop-crazed Muslims, because a pop-crazed Muslim may feature very heavily Ooh, in this show. Yes, indeed. Ah. Yes, indeed. <laughs> anyway, all praise is due to the brand-new pop-crazed Patreon people who have padded out the chart music G-string this month. And those people are, in the $5 section, Sean Foster... The Encrusted Green, Sam Hall, Neil, Ben Hodgkinson, Pete Boardman, Steve Harris, Mark Cooper, David Workman, Simon Francis, Andrew Dick, David Knowles, James Langan, Ali Lowe, Logan Mount Stewart, Mark Savage, Dan Cooper Gavin, Adam, John Lynch, Sarah Richardson, Michael Edmondson, Ian James King, George Murphy, Tom and Walter Rumsby. Thank you, babies. Big up, you guys. And of course, you will have noticed that you get Here Comes Quizm a few days before the general public. Well, everyone. Everyone on Patreon gets it before the general public does so. Yeah, all good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of people Mm. have notched up their contributions from one to five or three to five, which is lovely. We love you. In the $3 section, we have Ian Bell, Lisa Cassidy, Steve Hodgson, Steve Johnson, David Holmes, Foxy Moron, Stuart (laughs) Wright, Felice, Dave Hewitt, Piers Massey, David Burnage, Matt Briggs, Ben Squires and Darren Harper. And special thanks to Karen Watson, Stephen Mahappy Banks, Clive Parrott and Doug Grant because they whacked their pledge right up. Good cranking, guys. Good cranking. I want to touch and lick all of you. <laughs> and of course, one of the things that the Pop Craze Patreons get to do is to tinker in a tanker with the chart music top ten. Hit Ooh. the fucking music! <laughs> We've said goodbye to Lesbian Door Factory, Billy Preston and Ride Vita, and Noel Edmonds Gas Disco, which means five down, two up, one re-entry, and two new entries. Down three from seven to ten, Dave D, Creeper, Twat and Cunt. <laughs> down all the way from number two to number nine, Dean Spunk presents a tribute to Ollie Murs. <laughs> Down two places from number six to number eight, Jeff Sex. Yes. A re-entry at number seven for Taylor Parks' 20 romantic moments. Wow. Last week's number three, this week's number six, Danger Freaks. <laughs> Back up three places to number five, Bomber Dog. Yes! Up one place from number five to number four. Here comes Jism. <laughs> Good lord. Classic. Into the top three, and it's a two place drop for last week's number one in Selvis Costello. <laughs> this week's number two, a brand new entry for Romo Ralph Wiggum, which means. <laughs> <laughs> This week's number one, the highest new entry, Chip Pan's People. 
Oh, what a chart that is. Wow. Oh, it's lovely to see Romo Ralph Wiggum in there. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I thought you'd be number one. I'm, I'm a bit shocked by yeah. that. No, nice to note the tenacity of Bummer Dog and Jism as ever. Oh, man, they're, yeah. they're, they're not going anywhere. <laughs> I think we know what's what. Romo, Ralph Wiggum, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Chip Pan's people, obviously. A bit of meaty satisfaction. <laughs> so don't forget, Pulp Craze youngsters, if you want to put a little bustle in our G-string, you've got to get them little fingers over to the keyboard and tap in patreon.com slash chart music and pledge and pledge and pledge. So, this episode, Pop Craze Youngsters, takes us all the way back to March the 21st, 1996. Yes, I know, it's been a long time since we walked this way, but needs must. (laughs) And, you know, I can't lie, this really is my blind spot. You're a bit scared of the 90s, aren't you, Al? I am, yeah. Mm. I don't like them, it's a bit too modern for me. (laughs) I mean, yeah, this is my blind spot when it comes to Top of the Pops, but it's pretty damn obvious that BBC4 cannot wait to get stuck into the Britpop era of Top of the Pops. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was having a chat with our Sarah. She told me she was in the pub back in the days when we had pubs, and there was one of them internet jukeboxes, which was called a Top of the Pops jukebox. Yeah. And it was absolutely plastered with the branding that we see in the mid-90s. Yeah. Top of the Pops... Mid-90s. We're going to get rammed up our arse for the rest of the decade, I think. You know what? I wouldn't be surprised if more people end up watching the BBC4 repeats than actually watch some of these episodes first time round. Yes. Mm. Given that, you know, it, that it wasn't central to the culture anymore, as I'm sure we'll end up discussing. Yeah. The last time we did this era, it was, yeah, it was, it was February 1996 and it was 10 episodes ago we uh me you and sarah neil yeah yeah which was bolstered considerably by having julian cope present it oh, yeah in this case it, no cope and uh no hope either as far <laughs> as i can see i mean we were talking earlier neil that you know by this time top of the pops is is another music show that happens to call itself top of the pops that's it. I mean, it's absolutely lost its kind of universal reach, if you like. And it could it mm. could really start to be seen as almost an adjunct to youth programming in a way. Um, yeah. and, and by that time, you know, as a viewer, the old, inevitably, the older you get with Top of the Pops as a viewer, the more you turn into your parents, basically yeah. bemoaning things and shaking your head. Yeah. Yes. Um, th- this era is kind of seen as the last classic era of Top of the Pops before, yeah. you know, Andy Peters stabbed it through the heart repeatedly. Um, yeah. But I, I couldn't disagree more, actually. I have, I have problems with the Black Seal era of Top of the Pops. Um, it's a mixed bag. It, it, much as other previous producer changes have kind of brought good things in and bad things. Yeah. Um, I remember watching these episodes thinking, at the time, because at the time I, I wasn't watching these with my parents, obviously. This is the period where if I did watch Top of the Pops, um, it was with friends, yeah. normally drinking or something like that. And it's just that thing where you sit around with mates swearing at the telly. Yeah. Um, that seemed to be my major memory of Top of the Pops. Whereas an awful lot of people have memories of this period. Oh, God, classic episodes. And Rick Blacksill brought everything back that was good. Mm. I'm not entirely sure about that. It's a very mixed bag. I always worry when we cover these episodes of Top of the Pops, because this is not my Top of the Pops, but I know there's going to be some listeners out there to them, this is what Top of the Pops is. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I think um, a lot of it is coloured by what age you were at the time. And, uh, mm. uh, and you know, if you had other stuff going on in your life, if you were in your 20s and you were out and about living large or whatever and having fun, then you may have watched it from time to time if a band you liked were going to be on it. 
But mm. whereas if you were 14 and there was no fucking internet and you had fuck all to do, you prob- you were glued yeah. to it every week, I expect, even though to us it was way past its golden age. It's like me slagging off, I don't know, Peppa Pig or something, saying, oh, this is no bod. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, try and explain to my nephews and nieces how, how much better bod was. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I yeah. don't know. I mean, no spoilers here, but this is the time that your two were elbow deep in the music press. Mm. And this is also the time that your bands, or our bands, were getting on top of the pops. Absolutely right. Yeah. Surely you'd be glued to top of the pops all the time. Well, the thing is, we would obviously get a heads up beforehand if somebody we really liked, or in some cases we knew personally, were going to be on there. Um, So you would tune in for that. But yeah, I mean, I was, um, I I think, you know, the 90s, particularly the mid-90s, were the time where I felt I wasn't just a sort of passive consumer of the music scene. I was right in there, um, Mm. getting involved, making things happen. Um, And this, of course, being the last era when journalists really were the kind of gatekeepers and to some extent could make or break people. And um, yeah, I, I just, I, I was, I was deep in it. I was up, up to my fucking knees in it, you know. Mm. Hello, I'm Jack Beaumont. I do Crime Club. In series one, I spoke to people like this. Did you not kick a policeman in the head? Yeah, that was, when was that? I was 17. Wait, was I 17 or 19? I think I might have been 19, actually. In series two, I talked to people like this. There was a paedophile with one leg. I kicked him clean out his wheelchair. About four of us, I mean, we battered him. And this. Cheated on your boyfriend to give him gonorrhea? Do you want to go there or would you rather not? Yeah, no, 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 I could talk about it. I have jingles like this. That's Crime Club, where strange people tell stories involving bad behaviour. New episodes out every Monday. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Radio One News. So, in the news this week, the EU announces that France's ban of British beef is legal, paving the way for a full ban across the EU. Sri Lanka have beaten Australia in the Cricket World Cup final. Dunblane Primary School opens for the first time since 16 kids and one teacher were killed in the shooting there nine days ago. Robert Mugabe is re-elected President of Zimbabwe. Princess Diana crashes her BMW in London, but is well enough to go on holiday to Barbados at the weekend. Senator Bob Dole easily wins four primaries in the Midwest, setting him up nicely for the Republican candidacy for the forthcoming American election. Home Secretary Michael Howard has beefed up prison sentences for burglars and drug dealers. 
Ron Atkinson's wife has spent 13 hours handcuffed to a banister after their house was broken into while Ron was commentating on last night's European Cup match between Juventus and Real Madrid. But the big news this week is that John Redwood, the former Secretary of State for Wales and full-time bellend, has weighed in on Britpop in a column for The Guardian. He displays a particular fondness for the lightning seeds. He says, The lightning seeds reassure us that there is still an England under that English sky. There is a time and place here for jollification. He was later filmed getting the words wrong to Wonderwall. There's that amazing footage of him uh, when he's meant to be singing the Welsh National Anthem. Yes. And he's just kind of like mouthing syllables. Yeah, he said nothing about the Manic Street Preacher that noticed the cunt. It's racist, isn't it? (laughs) On the cover of The Enemy this week, Electronic. On the cover of Smash Hits, Ronan Keating and a Ken out of Boyzone. The number one LP over here is Falling Into You by Celine Dion. Over in America, the number one single is One Sweet Day by Mariah Carey and Boys to Men at its 16th and final week at number one. Fucking hell, we moan about wet, wet, wet. And the number one LP in America is Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. So, me boys, we've already covered this, but what were you doing in March of 1996? What were your roles at The Maker? I was 28 years old. Um, I was working for Melody Maker. I was the reviews editor. Um, Yeah. I was uh, living in a basement flat in Holloway, um, Holloway Babylon, as I called it. Um, To paraphrase Manic Street Preachers, I live in Urban Holloway. I describe rock and roll. Um, <laughs> I've, got, I've got to credit Taylor Parks for that joke. That was his. Um, and I, I can actually, because uh, I figured it out, I, I can tell you exactly where I was when this episode was broadcast. Because um, we're talking about Thursday, 21st of March, 1996. I was in that basement flat nursing one almighty hangover because the previous night was the final night of the Romo tour. Um ah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That was the tour where four Romo bands, Plastic Fantastic, Orlando, um, Dex Dexter and Hollywood, and we've um, uh, touched upon, or probably gone into quite a lot of depth about what Romo was in a previous episode, mm. but essentially a sort of new romantic revival that wasn't or wouldn't admit that it was. Um, yeah, we had this tour sponsored by Melody Maker, and it had three different fucking names. It was called Club Skinny slash Arcadia, the two club nights behind it. It was called On the March 1996 and called Fiddling While Romo Burns. And that, that um, fucking indecision, that fucking indecision is very telling in itself about mm, it's yeah. a bit of a rudderless ship. And it had been a very tough tour, to be honest. I was, a, I was there as the kind of um, Malcolm McLaren slash Robert Elms <laughs> figure and also the Don Letts figure. I was, I was the DJ and the spokesperson fronting up the whole thing. Yeah. And we were living on bunk beds on tour buses and showering in motorway service stations while trying to maintain this kind of alien, otherworldly glamour that the Romo scene <laughs> required um, without losing our fucking minds. And you know what? We were only on, on the road for two weeks. And after that experience, I will never, ever, ever again slag off bands who complain about touring. Uh, because certainly when you're touring at that level, when you're not staying in luxury hotels and you're living out of a bus, it is fucking hard and it shreds your nerves and you end up hating yeah. all your friends. And um and yeah we we all hate each other by the end of it. Um most most of the nights on the tour were poorly attended much to the glee of NME. Um 
Although uh, I remember Brighton and Manchester and Glasgow were all right. They were fairly well attended. The London date, though, um, which was the night before this um, Top of the Pops uh, uh, was broadcast, was um, a bit of a triumph. Uh, we were at the LA2, also known as the Astoria 2, and we had 750 people turn up, which, you know, it's a decent-sized crowd in London, and uh-huh. it felt like a bit of a yeah. triumph, a bit of a vindication. There was a big after-show party at Stringfellows. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Uh, Peter Stringfellow sat Hannah from Hollywood on his lap, the big old sex pest. Um, but um, Barbara Windsor was there too. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Good luck. Uh, so anyway, all of this, it, sh- it should have felt... She didn't make a little finger gesture. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been honoured. Have you ever been to Stringfellow's name? No, I haven't. No, I don't think so. Uh, I've stripped at <gasps> Oh my God! Yes. You didn't strip on twenty first of March, nineteen ninety six, by any chance? <laughs> no, I didn't know. Barbara Windsor would have done that to me, definitely. <laughs> yeah, it was two thousand, two thousand. It was the England Germany game. The day of that, mm-hmm. I was in a strip troupe called Fraud Monte, <laughs> and um, we, it was a very rare London booking for us, which was great because I, I could just get there by tube. Mm-hmm. We had to meet up dead early to flyer the surrounding area and it's like oh fucking up but the England game's on so I remember just having a big wadge of flyers marching over to a table where there were a load of Japanese women and just slamming them all down on the table and pointing at them saying traditional English dancing and then pointing at string fellas and going back and so I'm sat in string fellas on this settee Kind of like sliding me hand down the side of it, see if I could get a pair of Joan Collins's knickers mm. from 15 years previously. <laughs> and I'm sitting there watching the game, and it dawns on me that I'm the only English person in the whole fucking place. All the bar staff <laughs> and the bouncers are everything. They're all like Albanians mm. and Czechoslovakians and all that kind of stuff. And they're just there going, just going, oh, this England team are fucking shit, aren't they? They're fucking absolutely useless. And I'm getting a bit, you know, upset at first and then thinking, yeah, you're right. <laughs> and then the next thing I know, at half time, I hear someone go, England! And they march in and sit down to me. It's fucking Brian Tilsley out of Coronation Street. Oh, oh my God. He was Hell. working as a manager there. And so me and him watched the England game together, the second half of the England game together. <laughs> and I'm a right old rabbit. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> I just wanted to run all the way back to Nottingham and see my mates from college and go, you never guess who I'm watching this England yeah. game with. <laughs> That's like when somebody wakes up with a really weird dream, it would be that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And at the end we hugged. Nice. Then nice. I went up and got my cock out. <laughs> <laughs> Which again sounds like one of those dreams. <laughs> it was it was a really weird gig because it was a London gig. You know, the, I hated doing London gigs because the audience was so blasé. Hmm. And, you know, they'd go mental at the right bits. But afterwards, they just didn't want to know you. Hmm. We'd be having a drink. And usually there'd be people coming up to us going, oh, that was a fucking good laugh and, hmm. you know, nice one and wanted to talk to us. Or wanting to beat us up. And we got neither of that. They, they just turned their backs on us. They were embarrassed to have enjoyed themselves <laughs> at the sight of my beautiful cock. It's pretty much what the Romo gig was like. Yes. I'm sure Chris Quentin enjoyed it. By the way, Pricey, yeah. you know that Romo tour? It didn't come yeah. to Cov, did it? No. Oh, hang on, right. yes. Yeah, it, it came to, and you'll love this, it came to Warwick University, which of course, ah. which of course is too too good to consider itself Cov, isn't yeah, it, Neil? Yeah, 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 <laughs> bastards. No, I was just wondering, because an Orlando gig in Coventry at Planet, uh, the Planet Club in Cock Street is where I first met my missus. 
And, yeah. where, uh, and where Tim Chipping from Orlando, I think, hid backstage because he was scared of me for some reason. Oh, no you are right. a bit terrifying. You were yeah, there. Perhaps. <laughs> I misinterpreted my writing, perhaps. But, um, yeah. No, I've got good Romo memories. I mean, the thing is, about 96, I was travelling kind of a lot between Cov, London, and elsewhere. I was going in the office more at Melody Maker, actually. Yeah. And, and sort of starting to commute a bit more. And hang out with Pricey and Taylor and Kip on people's floors quite a lot as well. So if oh, I can... Oh, 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 before we go any further, can we clear up something you said uh, last episode, Neil? Well, well, yeah, we can. The Dancing to Madness. You, you recall doing the Bummer's Conga with, uh, <laughs> with, with Simon and, and Taylor. But Taylor, uh, we spots but... a delicious image that uh, that's kept me warm <laughs> over the over the past few nights. But but this is the thing about that period of time, mid nineties. I don't want to say, oh man, it was so rock and roll. I don't remember anything. But it definitely was a period in my life that was mainly a kind of blur of of parties and drinking and drugs, yeah. um, quite a lot. Mm. Um, and rock sex and not no actually not the sex just the drugs and the rock and roll but who needs the sex when you got the others man? well quite so consequently I am willing to hold my hands up and say I may have dreamt that but it's a nice <laughs> dream it's a nice dream because yeah because um, you were talking about Bristol Sound City weren't you the radio yeah. one thing where the three of us yeah, me, yeah. you and Taylor went down there and mm. we, had, we had an amazing time but I've got no memory of doing the Bummer's Conga now that's not to say it didn't happen and by the way for <laughs> those who don't know what the Bummer's Conga is picture the front of the first Madness album what yeah. they're doing there and uh, of course uh, trademark uh, David Stubbs yeah and it, w- <laughs> it would need to be arranged if it happened with me you and Taylor it got a height order wouldn't it so like Taylor at the front and then you and then me yeah. tallest at the back I think <laughs> <laughs> that should be a chart music t-shirt all of us yeah, doing yeah. the Bummer's Conga <laughs> I'll tell you what What did happen, Neil. I'm pretty sure you would have been there this moment. Um, late one night in Bristol, we went to some... Oh. We were dragged into some kind of private members club and there was somebody walking around doing um, close-up magic with cards um, for, oh, for like five yeah. quid tips here and there. And do you know who I'm certain that was? Darren Brown. No. Because no. the dates, the dates match bells. up. Around that time, Darren Brown was working these clubs in Bristol doing close-up magic for a fiver here, a fiver there. Right. And I remember this guy doing it. I swear it was him. <laughs> or, or if it wasn't him, it's one of his mates. One of his, one of his pale mates. That, ho- <laughs> that whole week, it does drift in between reality and unreality yeah. to a certain extent. I mean, I remember being at one of those gigs at Bristol Sound City, and there was a fucking trampoline there or something. No, it was it was um, it was a bouncy castle. Um, yeah, because there was there was oh. it was in a church, a church called Trinity in Bristol, and um, the gig, if I remember rightly, it was the Prodigy supported by Baby D. Yes, right? yes. Uh, and, and I remember being there with Taylor and just fucking bouncing around. Yeah. We got well pissed up beforehand and we're just like like idiots bouncing around on this bouncy castle. <laughs> there were there were no crash mats around it. Taylor loves bouncing, doesn't he? Loves he loves to bounce, does Taylor. He loves bouncing boing 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 <laughs> up and down until he gets a pain in his groin. Well this is it, right? Everyone thinks he's Eeyore, he's actually Tigger. He just, <laughs> yeah, he just he really is. Yeah, yeah, it's really just his I've, image, been, yeah. I've been around our, our, our good friend Richard's house. And they've got a trampoline in the back garden, and I, I stumble out into the back garden, and there's Taylor just just somersaulting. <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, um, on Twitter we have this conversation on Twitter whether that the Bombers Conger actually mm. happened, and uh, you, Simon, you were saying that Taylor don't dance. He's not a dancing man. I mean, he's and his mama don't rock and roll. Taylor actually does sort of quite, quite often mention he's not a dancing man, so I, I'm not sort of being indiscreet with that. Uh, mm. But there was one occasion. In fact, 
No, it wouldn't have been 96. It would have been 97 because it was my 30th birthday. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, a bunch of us went out drinking, started off uh, at Shuttleworths in Soho uh, and then ended up at the Camden Underworld. And one of the troupe coming with me to celebrate was James Dean Bradfield, the Manic Street Preachers. And Taylor yeah. was another. And we were in this uh, this this club, the Camden Underworld, and the DJ was playing like basically 70s and 80s cheese. And he stuck on... Kung Fu fighting. The Ramadan number one of 1974, everyone. <laughs> and uh, I can distinctly remember that um, I think we'd been sort of lurking around the edge of the dance floor just drinking and chatting. But James Dean Bradfield loved that song. He's like, come on! And like, he sort of like, um, yeah. sort of commandeers us and drags us all onto the dance floor. And we're all, and like, we, we do it. Obviously, you've got to do Kung Fu moves, like fucking yeah, yeah. To, to that song. Course. You are Hong Kong Fui, number one super guy, to, to that song. Mm. Um, and uh, Taylor got peer pressured by James Dean Bradfield into into doing it because James James did because you know James at that point uh, 1996 lead singer of the Manic Street Preachers kind of outranked everybody in terms of being cool yes. so uh, if, if he does a sort of kung fu chop move at you you've kind of got to reciprocate you can't just sort of stand there yeah. you know? no, you can't. so yeah that's one of my most treasured memories of my oh, 30th birthday even if footage doesn't exist of that just playing it in my head um, is yeah. enough it's a delicious image isn't yeah, yeah. it you see, with Kung Fu fighting, there's two ways you can go. I mean, you can do all the... You can throw all the chops and everything, but... And I'm surprised Taylor didn't do this, because I've been known to do this before when I'm not in a dancing mood. I just hold up an invisible board for them <laughs> to chop. <laughs> Personally, I was... Yeah, um, I was still just about a contributor, because I think Everett was still editor. Um, uh, but I was also yeah. gossip editor. Um, l- late 96. Mm. So I was coming to the office more. Um, an insane role gossip editor, but it, it was real. It was a real marker for me the way that the changeover in Melody Maker that was about to happen changed being a gossip editor. It used to be as gossip editor, you commissioned someone to write the column, they wrote it, you sent it through because you really didn't give a shit about what parties Blue Tones had been to this week. Um, mm. And that was that. Once um, things started changing later on in the year, uh, the gossip editor's role became much, much more difficult. Even though you only had two pages to sort out, um, it was a pain in the fucking ass. You had to sort out corporate sponsorship, bloody whoever was sponsoring the page that week. And yet it was the start for me at Melody Maker. I'd come in at a time when, I don't know... It, it, Already, Melody Maker had started showing signs that the bravery that had first snagged me in as a reader in 87 and 88 was on its way out, and that we were starting to care a bit too much about the readers to a certain extent, and who was on the cover. Um, Mm. But what I noticed editing the gossip page was that they were so mad on their reader interactivity. And I was Mm. meant to, every week, sort out competitions, sort out this thing whereby readers met bands. And, you know, you put these calls up, readers didn't give a shit. They didn't want to do any of that no. stuff. So inevitably, every week you'd be making shit up. And you'd, you'd be getting in touch with those Looney Tunes readers who were kind of a bit obsessive about both the paper and you, and asking them, oh, mm. can you come and meet Super Furry Animals backstage at the Academy tonight or something like that, um, to, <laughs> to, to fill in this quarter page. So, yeah, I, I was increasing my role at Melody Maker to a certain extent in a way that I really didn't want to. I didn't want to be gossip editor. Um, the goal, I think, for most people who weren't section editors was to become a staff writer, but that seemed to be yeah. sewn up. Um, but that said, the freelance stuff that I was getting was really 
it, it was a golden era for me in as much as I got mm. to see the world in this period. I travelled a lot around Europe and around the States and just being sent off Ooh. places. Um, so it was a bit of a... It, in retrospect, this was a real golden age for me before um, cunt-faced Mark Shitterland took over the following year and, and started wrecking everything. <laughs> so, yeah. 96, I have actually... What memories I do have, I have really good memories of that year because I felt, I felt like I was part of the paper. And more importantly... Um, I'd only been there like two years. I finally felt, in a sense, established in as much as they weren't going to get rid of me. Do you know what I mean? They were asking me to do stuff every week. Um, So I really did feel part of it. Um, And I did feel that I would never say I had a proper job. But it was keeping me busy. Do you know what I mean? There weren't like weeks and weeks and weeks where I was looking at the paper thinking I'm not in it this week. Yeah. Although doubtless I wasn't in it this week, but who knows? But, um, you know, I, I felt like part of the paper and I felt like I was, I was definitely sort of not a, yeah, a major contributor. Me, Pricey, Taylor, Everett and the others. We, we had big says in the paper at that time. We had big chunks yeah. of the paper. It wasn't, you know, it, it, we, I, I definitely felt like part of it more than ever before. Yeah, I mean, as reviews editor, um, uh, obviously you have your favourites, your own sort of pet journalists who you'll always go to. Mm. And yeah, uh, yeah um, you know, I'm not not ashamed to well, say that. Well, no, people uh, you I, re- can rely on. Yeah, and people you know, you know, going to write good copy. So yeah. I, mm. I would, I would give Neil as much work as I could, give Taylor as much as I could as well, because you'd know it'd be like fucking cracking read, you know. Mm. Um, so yeah, and those things become a bit self-perpetuating, I suppose. Neil, I, I remember one of my first memories of you um, is coming in the off. You coming in the office wearing this amazing jacket, and I don't know if you remember the one I'm talking about. It was like <laughs> was it green? It was yeah, green with maybe bits of cream on it or something, and yeah, it was like man. sort of leather. Oh man, it was so See, nice. I couldn't afford I couldn't afford good hip hop clothes, but I saw that jacket, and it was like about 120 quid or something stupid. Yeah, and you know the thing is, back then, now that I think about it, I used to get my checks from my PC. And I know I should have been, you know, notifying my accountant and all this bullshit. But, um, <laughs> Fuck that. No, Fuck that. I was straight... Every time, every time I got paid as a freelancer, it was straight to cash converters. <laughs> it was cash that motherfucker in and just go spend. So if I saw something that I liked, I remember that jacket. I bloody love that jacket. And I've no idea where it is. I was uh, so envious because, yeah, it was like something straight out of uh, one of the advertising pages of a Vibe magazine or something. Yeah, man. It was, it was, the, the thing about it was it was, a fa- it was one of those fantastically good garments that cover up whatever shit you had on underneath. Yeah, it, yeah. So that you could look <laughs> vaguely presentable. Yeah, yeah. And would this have been about the time uh, in 1996? where you stormed the KFC in Camden Town? Um, I believe it might have been, yes, yes. Uh, Do tell. See, this is it. Good times, good times. I mean, no, um, the, the KFC in Camden Town, I was in there pretty wrecked, um, as I was most nights whenever I went to Camden. The good thing about going to London, by the way, sidetrack, but the, the thing about going to London in those days, I had just three or four floors that I could crash on. And... You know, it meant that wherever you ended up, you'd kind of end up all right and you wouldn't end up sleeping in the shelters at at Euston waiting for the 5.34 train Mm. back in the morning. So um, late nights were a possibility finally. So I think it was 2am, Camden KFC. And I was was such a passionate fan of KFC and still am. Um, I I stormed it. I I got backstage, (laughs) as it were. I I got behind... I got behind the counter, and I seem to recall actually putting one, one, one of the caps on, you know, nice. the people who serve, and talking to customers as they come in. And nobody seemed in a mood to, to get me out of there. Was it because you needed a piss and you couldn't find a toilet anywhere? I think it was. And, I used and he to, said, right, I'm just going. Yeah, I think I used the staff one, and then I come out and start serving people. 
um, asking him, do you want coleslaw with that? And um, Blake goes, no, I don't really like it. And I was like, man, this is fucking brilliant coleslaw, man. You need this in your... I was a good... I've always been a good salesman yeah. with the patter. So, um, as I remember it, this this was at the end of a night where uh, we'd been sort of rampaging around Camden, uh, which, as we're going to come to in this uh, episode of Chart Music, funnily enough, was the playground of Britpop yeah, and yeah, all that. Yeah, but I, I remember taking Neil with me around Camden and him, like, behaving really kind of disgracefully and but also hilariously (laughs) offending like offending and insulting and doing impressions of some of my uh, most wanky Camden Town acquaintances who probably deserved it to be fair and then and then at the end of the night he fucking storms KFC and I just remember thinking London needs this guy you know Yeah, in my, I mean, in my defence for my aggravation, I, I mean, I had big problems with Britpop Camden and the rest of it, and I almost wish I'd, I, I knew about that John Redwood article because it would have given me extra armoury. Yeah. But, you know, it, it's, it's often the way, isn't it? You go to a town that isn't yours yeah. and you're not going to stay in. You're not going to see these people again. No. And, um, yeah, I behaved disgracefully, but as ever, I issue the caveat and excuse. I wasn't getting any. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, March 1996, I'm still in Dickie Desmond's wank factory, but I'm making my transition away from porn. I'm in the internet department still, and I'm doing Attitude magazine for the Microsoft Network, which had just got a five-star review in .NET magazine, and we were pretty much the golden boys with them lot. Bill Gates' right-hand man uh, actually put an email around the whole of Microsoft saying... See these four blokes in London. What they're doing is what we should be doing. This is the gold standard. So we, you know, wow, we're feeling very good about ourselves. But then, of course, Desmond the cunt decided that it wasn't making any money at all. So he he was going to knob us off after a year or so. Mm. On the other hand, um, this was the the actual month that I found out that the relationship I was hoping to have for the rest of my life wasn't going to happen uh, for much longer. So, so without going into details, this month I am numb as fuck. Oh, mate. Do you want to play the Simon Bates hour tune music under this bit, you know? Yes. <laughs> Music-wise, I'm just listening to, to seriously old-school hip-hop and dub and just just trying to take my mind off being in 1996. Didn't yeah. like it there anymore. Fair enough. Didn't like being in London anymore. Uh, didn't know what to do myself. So, yeah, happy times for, <laughs> for, for a younger owl. If you're working at Attitude, um, you, might, you might have handled some of my copy, um, depending on when it was. Because I, I wrote quite a few things for Attitude, like front cover stories. Oh, really? I did one on Martin Rossiter of Gene, which uh, that day, Oh, yes. So that, that must have been around this time. Yes. Uh, and um, I did one on Cher, around the time when she had Believe out. Right. So, yeah, yeah. So you might have got your grubby mitts on my copy. I don't know. Wow. Who's got the nicest arse in Britpop? I remember that one you did, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, let's turn to Melody Maker. This week's Melody Maker. As is a star with chart music, we take uh, an issue of uh, the, one of the music press for this week. And this week, I've gone for Melody Maker, March the 23rd, 1996. Shall we have a troll, chaps? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. On the cover, Noel Gallagher sat in a pub with his parka still on, holding a bottle of Heineken with the cover line, You looking at me, pal, Oasis gets stroppy in the USA. Yeah, about time Oasis was covered in the music press. (laughs) In the news, 
The Manic Street Preachers have announced their first new single since the disappearance of Richie Edwards, A Design for Life, which will be out in three weeks. They've also announced a new tour in May. The Sex Pistols announced their comeback tour at the 100 Club, where five transvestites in skimpy day glow outfits hand out jelly deals and cheese cobs to 350 members of the media before John Lydon coats them down, offers to do a benefit gig for Lady Di, calls Green Day shit and <laughs> describes Sarah Ferguson as the clash of the royal family. Oh. An Irish band called The Wild Spirits have asked Ian Paisley to appear in the video for their next <laughs> single called Catholic West Belfast, but he turns them down. What a shame. Mobe has given Rover permission to use God moving over the face of waters on their adverts and says he's going to give all proceeds to environmental and animal rights organisations. Hmm. Kim Thale of Soundgarden is unimpressed by Oasis's attempt at American domination, saying that he's only heard Wonderwall and he thought it was crap, but his <laughs> mate Glad. Michael Stipe thinks they're dead good. You yeah. too have had their domestic security beefed up after receiving death threats from an American stalker. Quote, <laughs> bassist Adam Clayton is said to be the most worried. <laughs> the so main story well. from the rumour mill the gossip column edited by Neil Kulkarne mm-hmm. is that the Blue Tones have lost a sock on tour. <laughs> Thin pickings that week, clearly. Fucking <laughs> hell, he phoned that one in, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and Oasis fans successfully cloned is the main headline in Talk, Talk, Talk. Common features in the specimens already produced include spottiness, Mop-top hairstyles that look like they've been washed in chip fat and stonewashed jeans three inches too long. The features sections, well, five pages are devoted to Oasis in America as Ben Studd nips over to Philadelphia to try to get some sense out of Liam Gallagher. Instead, he gets slagged off for liking The Clash because they looked too flash. He then has a chat with Noel Gallagher, who is getting a bit unnerved about all these Americans mithering him, and they talk about, what else, the Beatles, and having lots of money, etc. There's a box out of Vox Pops with members of the audience who think that Oasis are really neat and cool. (laughs) Oh, and there's another page given over to a review of their gig in New York, and a trailer for the second part of Oasis in America next week, where Noel says that Jarvis Cocker should have headbutted Michael Jackson, and describes David Bowie as, quote, the cunt who waltzed into London doing the Hitler salute, the fucker still wants sorting out for that. Talking of whom, a full page is given over to an interview with Jarvis Cocker after he appeared at Kensington Police Station the previous week to find out all charges against him have been dropped and mentalist Jacko fans lob flower and exit him. He says he hasn't got a personal vendetta against Michael Jackson, but it would be good for him to get a little bit of reality in his life. That the Michael Jackson fans who have started a hate campaign against him ought to grow up that he was flattered by Melody Maker saying he should be knighted for what he did. Fucking hell. And he liked the Daily Mirror's campaign to get him off the hook, which included free Jarvis t-shirts being worn by Barbara Windsor. Oh, the circle of life. <laughs> yes. 
And Sharon O'Connell nips over to Cincinnati to meet Brainiac, who bang on about the game's sim life, how they've moved on from Moogs to modern keyboards, and how they intend to headline next year's Phoenix Festival and have Blur and Oasis supporting them. Yeah, good luck with that, lads. The singles page, well, in the chair this week is Louise Wenner of Sleeper. Jesus. Hosted by the Ministry of Taste, who were represented by a still of the Kemp brothers in the craze. Who were the Ministry of Taste? What's that all about? No idea. Well, um, it was one of these phrases that we kind of used to sort of uh, embody what Melody Maker was. Um, right. We also had we had badges at the Reading Festival that said the Taste Police. Right. Um, <laughs> And, you know, we, uh, I remember once, it might have been 96, we had, uh, uh, football style, uh, sort of retro football style, uh, shirts that we were selling at Reading, uh, with the Latin inscription that meant, we build them up, we knock them down. Uh, so it's one of these things that we sort of took pride in being the gatekeepers, if you know yeah. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we were sort of very much, um, upfront about that, you know, everything that people used to hate the music press for, like, oh, stop telling us what to like. We're like, no, fuck it. We are telling you what to like. You know what I mean? <laughs> Her single of the week is You and Me song by Wanna Dies, which is a wry, touching, blatant pop song, while theirs is Stupid Girl by Garbage, because in their words, this is the worst week for singles since 1828. You Don't Understand Me by Roxette is the best of the rest, even though they're described as blonde, big-haired, banal, puke-making Euro-rockers. However, it's a severe coat-down for One More Chance by Madonna. Someone better stop giving her any more chances. The last one I liked was Express Yourself. She's got these disgusting saccharine lyrics. She's got about two melodies left at a push. She just ought to marry a bullfighter. (laughs) The remix of State of Independence by Donna Summer is unreviewable as the label didn't put a CD in the case. So when it takes the time to comment on Diana Ross's recent appearance on Top of the Pops, where she wore a jacket with... Quote, a beard on the back. <laughs> Sometimes I miss you so much, open brackets, dedicated to the Christ consciousness, close brackets, by PM Dawn, sparks a conversation about Prince B, who the Ministry of Taste say is a lovely chap, mad as a balloon. <laughs> and Tori Amos, who has released a remix collection of Tallulah, is described by Wenner as Queen of the Angst-ridden Divas. Her head is visibly edging its way up her inflated arse as we speak. Unbearable, affected, contrived, nasty vocal gymnastics and irritating inflections. She ought to stick to breastfeeding pigs. In the LP section, well, the lead review is given over to Take That's Rushed Out Greatest Hits LP, which David Bennon falls upon with rapturous abandon. Not a single take that record was designed to outlive its chart life. Most of them won't, but I'll put money on this collection being better and more fondly remembered 20 years from now than anything at all from Paul Weller's solo career, he writes. Panel, your opinion? Um, possibly. <laughs> I mean, it's it's absolutely correct that um, th- this is the great paradox of pop and it's, it's, something, it's something that w- without which chart music would be nothing which is Mm. that something which is designed to be ephemeral and transient ends up you know being immortal and Mm. and just having huge uh, emotional power uh decades after it's supposedly outlived its usefulness so 
Mm. Yeah, and also Paul Weller solo was a bit crap. Apart from <laughs> Broken, Broken Stones was a good song. But apart mm. from that, yeah. Meanwhile, Simon Price, according to the intro text, has had it up to here with your white boy liberal outrage <laughs> in his review of Operation Stacola by the Loonies. Loonies are the most sexist rap crew since Two Live Crew. And... <laughs> So what about Nick Cave, Greg Dully, even Jarvis Cocker? Is there one rule for your white songwriter heroes and another for, well, a bunch of N-words? It's been two years since we heard the word biatch thrown about with such thrilling relish. And my, is it just me or doesn't I Got Five on it have that single of the year feel about it already? A moral cesspool? Insert an and or but here, depending on which species of cunt you are, wicked. <laughs> yeah. Taylor Parks is entrusted with the remastered issues of the go-betweens' first three LPs, Send Me a Lullaby, Before Hollywood and Spring Hill Fair, and he thinks they are dead good. These records exist and are extraordinary and are enough for now, he says. However, it's a coat down for Grow by Stum. Imagine Julian Cope trying to be simple minds instead of Creedence Clearwater Revival, says Mark Luffman. Major label moronics. The letters page is edited by Taylor Parks, and the main review is, what else? Romo. Mini Matrix of London has a go at bands like Sexus and Minty denying their Romo-ness when they clearly are, while Sammy Defgit of Coventry describes Romo as a pile of pants which causes Al Taylor to point out that anyone who thinks the word pants is funny is a red dwarf slash fist of fun watching cunt. (laughs) Meanwhile, that of Bristol wants to know if you pronounce it Romo or Romo. I reckon Romo Ralph Wigan would have pronounced it Romo for a while and probably still does. (laughs) Miss L. Howard of Avonmouth is incandescent with rage at Taylor's recent piece about Babylon Zoo where he said he felt betrayed that Jazz Man wasn't actually a spaceman. You've obviously got a problem with the fact that he can wear makeup and a skirt and still attract countless women. As for Jazz being a twat... That kind of comment just proves my theories about you. But an extremely sad person called Melissa has Taylor's back. Oh yes, Taylor Park's rules, she squeals. I'd never really understood why so many young girls write him wanting his babies. Sure, his writing is excellent, but there has to be some other reason. But I have now discovered why the man is worshipped so. By admitting to reading magazine, teletext, page 442, channel 4, Taylor Parks is as sad as me, and for that, I respect him. (laughs) Speaking as a journalist for Scotland's biggest selling daily regional newspaper, if I help produce a publication as one-sided and disrespectful as last week's Melody Maker, I would be sacked, says G. Hackman of Falkirk, <laughs> as he takes the paper to task for not providing enough coverage on Oasis and Paul Weller. Okay, hell. Perhaps I am alone, but I look for integrity, feeling, excitement and, yes, honesty in my music. Taylor responds by saying... You were great in French Connection. Sorry, I bet you get that all the time. (laughs) But the biggest coke down comes from an invisible son. The letter in full. (laughs) 
<laughs> so, Sting has a new album out, and Melody Maker slags it off. Oh, Kel surprise. <laughs> and as usual, your so-called journalist, David Stubbs, uses his so-called <laughs> review to reel off the usual unfounded character assassination. There's no mention, of course, of the tremendous work Sting does for the environment. What was David Stubbs doing when the rainforests were falling? Probably just sat round slagging things off. As for his ridiculous assertion that Sting is some sort of paranoid, uncaring, heavily guarded recluse, allow me to relate a little anecdote. Several years ago, my car broke down on the motorway. I flagged down a passing car for help, which happened to be driven by Sting. (laughs) After telling him my predicament, he offered to drive me to his house where I could wait while my car was fixed. He was a most accommodating host. He let me have some fruit and played me some jazz on his big double bass. Funnily enough, there was no sign of these men or dogs that your journalist seems to be such an expert on. Whatever you're feeding stubs to ease his obvious pain seems to be having some detrimental side effects. So just fuck off. (laughs) Oh, man, Sting let him have some fruit out of his bowl and it wasn't even Christmas. What a man. That that never happened. This This is another 96 dream. Yeah. What was David Stubbs doing when the rainforests were falling? Yeah, shame on you, David, for not, like, flying at your own expense to the Amazon. Yeah. And, like, lying down in front of the trucks. I bet he was throwing monkeys on the fire and laughing at them. (laughs) The funny thing is, though, you know, I mean, we're living in an age at the moment where if you put some writing that you've done out, you almost immediately get feedback about it, like Mm. thumbs up and all that malarkey, and it's helpful for your ego sometimes. But genuinely, the Backlash Letters page in Melody Maker was the only feedback you'd get, really, about anything you wrote. So... Um, the positives and the negatives were all, were all delightful to read, especially if they were about you, you know, mm. because um, if you'd pissed off the right people, that was always cheering. Yes. And there was obviously just the odd person who did really like what you did sometimes. And that was really cheering. So pre-internet, the yeah. Backlash Letters page was, was I'm not saying massively important, but it was your only kind of aperture through to what the fuck the readers thought about what you were doing. Yeah. How did you feel when you yeah. got your first slug off, though? I felt vindicated, um, uh. completely vindicated, because what the only reason somebody would write in or take the bother to yeah write a letter, stick a stamp on the envelope, etc., is because you've got under their skin somehow, you pissed yeah. them off somehow because of you know what you'd said was probably fairly accurate. So I always used to get grief from people, and and it always just used to be more grist to my mill, really, and mm. and people misinterpreted me to a certain extent in is that they when Romo was kicking off, I remember. Uh, readers sort of assumed that I'd be weighing in to slag it all off. Right. Um, but yeah. I fucking loved Romo. I loved a lot of that music. So so it was always nice proven and wrong in that sense. But yeah, Backlash, it was kind of the internet before the internet. Um, although the internet was in its fledgling days there. It was the only feedback you got. We got it so wrong. I do remember this, Neil, that um, we had a little guide to the internet in Melody Maker. And on the front, it said, your guide to the info net. <laughs> <laughs> on the fucking front cover. <laughs> 
the really weird thing now is, you know, when I was thinking about back then, 1996, was I remember the four of us sitting around saying, you know, knowing that the internet was going to be massive. But we, we used to go, what's going to happen in a few years' time? Is it the internet's going to be entirely event-driven? You're going to have people doing performances live on the internet or discussions mm. live on the internet. And that never happened until this fucking month. Yeah, we were yeah. visionaries, man. All it took was a global pandemic to prove us <laughs> right. I just thought the internet was for posh people because I couldn't afford a fucking. Well, I, I just about had a computer by this point, but it wasn't mm. high powered enough to get online or anything like that. And I just, I, I just thought even having that covered in the Melody Maker was a bit of a letdown to our readers. You know, it's basically rich kids' toys. My first phone bill was about six hundred quid. Yeah, fuck you know. I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, this was still the year of faxing in copy. Yeah, we weren't yeah. using email that much at this time. Yeah. In the gig section, well, David could have seen Big Country at Dingwalls, Cocaine Dog at the Kentish Town Bull and Gate, Maloko at Subterranea, Caston Manson at the Forum, Garbage and Biss at the Brixton Academy, Gary Newman in EMF at the Astoria, or Plastic Fantastic Orlando, Dex, Dexter, Viva and Hollywood on the Melody Maker Romo tour at LA2, but probably didn't. <laughs> Taylor could have nipped out to see Lush at the Birmingham Foundry, Gil Scott Heron at the K Club, Underworld at the K Club again, White Trash at the Aston Villa Leisure Centre, or Buffalo Soldier at the Railway Lounge. Neil could have seen Catatonia at the Wolverhampton Theatre Bar, Right Said Fred at Coventry University, Black Starliner <laughs> at the General Wolf, or Ocean Colour Scene at the Wolverhampton Wolfram Hall. <laughs> Fucking hell. Sarah could have witnessed Pusherman at the whole room, Nick Harper at the Leeds Duchess of York, Marion at Leeds Metropolitan University, the Vibrators at the Sheffield Hallamshire, or Cooler Shaker at Leeds Brighton Beach. <laughs> Al could have chipped over to Rock City to see the men they couldn't hang Girls Against Boys and Brainiac at the Clinton Rooms or Dum Dums at Sam Faye's if I'd have been in Nottingham I would have seen Dum Dums because my mate was the lead singer and their manager was Ricky Gervais I knew Ricky around this time mm. I used to put on club nights with him at University of London Union because um, I'd previously been the ENTS officer at uh, UCL Union down the road and he mm. was running things at ULU and he he had sort of track record for managing bands. He managed Suede. Everyone knows that mm. for a little while. And um, yeah, uh, I think in '96 I was putting on nights called Club Maker at at Yulu. Um, you know, sponsored by Melty Maker. And we had people like uh, Drugstore, My Life Story, mm-hmm. Kaniki, people mm. like that. Um, and yeah, Ricky was in charge. So this would have been um, when he's trying to foist the Dum Dums on the world. Yeah. And Simon could have checked out the Federation at Club Evo Bach in Cardiff. Just call it the Welsh Club. That's what everyone calls it anyway. <laughs> they do. They, they, they do. They call it the Welsh Club. So Oh, there you go. Elevate at Gassy Jacks and fuck all else. 60 pages, 80p. I never knew there was so much Oasis in it. <sighs> I mean, what's it like at the time at Melody Maker? Because your bands... They're migrating to the tabloids, you know. Oasis are, be- yeah. are, the, are the new Duran Duran. I mean, it was the beginning of the mm. end for exactly yeah. that reason. Um, you know, there, there are a number of factors that led to the death of, of the weekly music press, and we've talked about it before. Uh, but the internet m- may have been the coup de grace at the end, mm. but uh, the, the rot had already set in. A lot of it was self-inflicted. Mm. It's because of this power shift that suddenly, as you say, Al, 
one of our bands was the biggest fucking thing mm. in the country. Yeah. And that band did not need us anymore. We needed them. Mm. Yeah. So it meant that if we wanted to, you know, get any access to Liam Knoll in America uh, or wherever it was, then we had to be terribly nice to whatever other shitty little band that PR company or that record label was foisting on us. And to a slightly lesser extent, the same applied to Blur. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's funny, I've, I've talked to Jonesy, Alan Jones, our former editor, about this. And um, in a way, it was it was a foolish thing that we were doing because you would think that Britpop would have bumped up the sales of the weekly music press. Yeah. It didn't really. Yeah. We kind of plateaued. We plateaued through the whole thing uh, precisely because, Al, as you say, if people wanted to find out about the antics of Jarvis or Damon or Liam, they just pick up the sun. Yeah. I mean, I think in this period, we hadn't officially been given like an editorial line, you cannot slag off these bands. Um, no. That hadn't quite happened yet. Uh, that would happen uh, about a year or so along. But certainly yeah. certain writers were being given to certain bands or certain bands were being given to certain writers. Um, I could squeeze in my slaggings of Britpop here and there in pretty much every, everything I wrote, but nobody would let me near Blur Oasis. So what's the plan here? Just like hang on to the speeding train of the big three of Britpop or try to create new stars. Speeding train, well, yeah. Uh, another metaphor would be that, that thing that conservatives say about economics, where a rising tide raises all boats. You know, there's this mm. idea that it would be good for everyone mm. if there was this kind of big swell of guitar music. Um, but yeah, um, Melody Maker uh, at this time as well was trying to differentiate itself from NME, or at least the suits, the powers that be and IPC were trying to put some sort of clear blue water between us. And the way we did it was to have that little tagline along the bottom, um, tomorrow's music today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, our role was a kind of A&R role. We were meant to discover the new bands, which NME would then gratefully take from us. Mm-hmm. And then the sun would, the sun would take off them. Like the feeder club. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We were the feeder club. Of course, we didn't see ourselves that way. We writers. No. We thought that we were the sort of last bastion of true music criticism. Mm. But, um, as far as the, the powers at IPC were concerned, we were there to do a sort of scouting role. Yeah. And, and part, mm. partly we did do that. But, you know, um, I think we were just as likely to discover, a, you know, a brand new band and kick the shit out of them <laughs> as we were to, to say, you know, they deserve to be the next Oasis. So what else was on telly today? Well, BBC One starts the morning at 6am with Business Breakfast. Then it's Breakfast News, Breakfast News Extra, Can't Cook, Won't Cook, Kilroy, Good Morning with Anne and Nick, the news, regional news in your area, Turnabout, the word quiz hosted by Rob Curling, the relaunch of Going for a Song, the Antique Show, the one o'clock news, Neighbours, Pebble Mill, the Flying Doctors, the new Yogi Bear Show, the More Files, Dino Babies, Highlander, the Really Wild Show, News Rand, Grain Jill, Neighbours Again, the six o'clock news, and they've just finished regional news in your area because Top of the Pop starts at seven o'clock now. Mm. I know. BBC Two commences at 7.15 with a See Here Breakfast News. Then it's Stingray, a repeat of yesterday's Blue Peter, Tales of the Two Fairies, Puppy Dog Tales, then yesterday's highlights from Parliament in the record. 
After two hours of schools programmes, it's business news in working lunch, then another hour of schools programmes, tales of the two fairies and poppy dog tales again, the Andrew Neil show, Westminster with Nick Ross, the quiz show Today's the Day, Ready Steady Cook, the Oprah Winfrey show, the World Figure Skating Championships from Edmonton, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, the Ozone with an interview with Louise Nerdin and a look at the lightning seeds, John Redwood's favourite, and they've just started a repeat of the sitcom Waiting for God. ITV begins at 5.30 with ITN Morning News, GMTV, Win, Lose or Draw, Regional News in Your Area, The Time, The Place, Regional News in Your Area again, The ITN News, Shortland Street, Home and Away, A Country Practice, Vanessa, A Repeat of Emmerdale, Even More Regional News in Your Area, The Riddlers, Wizardora, Rupert, Mike and Angelo, Reboot, Chain Letters, The News, Regional News in Your Area, and they've just started Emmerdale. Channel 4 begins with an hour and a half of teletext, then it's The Adventures of T-Rex, The Big Breakfast, 15 to 1, two and a half hours of schools programmes, then House to House, Sesame Street, Hullabaloo, Chigler, two short films, Racing from Doncaster, Countdown, Ricky Lake, Terry Toons, NBA 24-7, Roseanne, and they've just started Channel 4 News. So much telly in the 90s. Mm. But, you know, I, I kind of zoned out a bit there because I started thinking about Marina, Aqua Marina. Yes. From uh, Stingray. Oh, God, Why don't you say that you'll always stay? <laughs> It might be. It really oh. might be. But, I mean, the thing is with all these schedules, what they remind me of is I, I drop in and out of this sort of telly. So I'd be back home for Ricky Lake probably. Yeah. But um, these are days where you, maybe not, maybe this was, no, it wasn't just me. I remember being in the pub at 11 in the morning um, yeah. and kind of being out of the pub, maybe about three for a little bit of a kip. Yeah. Um, and then going back out to the pub at about seven. So I drift in and out of these schedules, but a lot of things there are ringing bells. Right then, that's more than enough foreplay for this episode of Top of the Pops. So come and join us next time when we get stuck into it properly. And if you can't wait, don't forget $5 Patreons on patreon.com slash chartmusic. Get the full episode right now without any adverts. The $3 Patreons. Get it a couple of days later in full no adverts. On behalf of Simon Price and Neil Kulkarni, my name's Al Needham. See you in a bit, Docker. Chart music. GreatBigOwl.com I'm Tilly Steele. And I'm Helen Monks. And this is Bitchin'. I'm dyslexic. Yeah, why do you read the Wikipedia page? <laughs> It's good to practice. <laughs> a podcast where every week we talk about a different person. So how old was he when he first popped on the scene? That's a great If question. you say he was my age, I'm going <laughs> to fucking die. And we veer wildly off track. Pop that Prosec. <laughs> Available on all your podcast apps. <laughs> That's not right. Uh, <laughs> Can you not say podcast? uh in the advert? <laughs> Available on all your podcast platforms. Just search Bitchin or Great Big Owl. We'll see you there. That was alright. <laughs> Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 